Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast welcome everyone i am doing a solo episode this week sometimes i get a little nervous to do solo episodes until i remember that I teach all the time. (laughs) It shouldn't be that challenging to do this. So many of you have been asking for an update on how I'm doing after recovery from tongue cancer in May. By the time you hear this, it will be about six months out into recovery and I'm doing really, really well. I'm a little bit tired still. I feel like there's still a lot of healing happening on many levels, but I also feel like part of that exhaustion is from being a university professor for 25 years and and coming into retirement. And for 45 plus years, I would have been going back to school this week, either as a student or as a teacher. And I have to tell you, it feels really good to not have to go back to just focus on yoga therapy. So I'm doing well. I'm running every day. I'm lifting weights every day. I do about an hour of very targeted asana, specifically on the Udana Vayu, because that's where my problems were. And I meditate every day. I'm eating well. I'm off sugar. I have started intermittent fasting, which I really, really like, surprisingly. I always thought it was kind of a fad, but it's actually working really well. I try not to eat after 5.30 p.m. all the way until 8.30 the next morning. So that's really cool. And in general, I am just have a new perspective on life and health and just working towards more joy, more relaxation, not packing my schedule so full, not traveling right now due to my doctor's request that I don't get COVID. So there's a lot of really, really positive things happening in my life. And I'm happy to report that I feel great. So with all of that said, I think I would like to share with you another talk. 
I like to participate in talks with our worldwide global yoga therapy community. I think it's really important that we all stay in touch and we all know what's happening in the other countries. I've said this before, it's like the hundredth monkey effect where no monkeys were eating bananas, but a few monkeys sporadically around the world tried a banana and then they told their friends about the banana. And then next thing you know, there were pockets of monkeys eating bananas. And then there was a point where they call the hundredth monkey where it just started spreading and everybody knew that monkeys eat bananas. And I feel like that's what we're doing with the global yoga therapy community is we've all been eating our individual bananas. And now that we're realizing how many other countries, how many other people out there also are interested in loving yoga therapy and feeling that it's a helpful healing modality, you know, it's, it's going to, at some point just take off and, and be that hundredth monkey effect. And I'm, I, for one, I'm waiting for that. I'm really excited about that. So what I wanted to share with you today is this talk that I had given in March of 2022 to the Society of Yoga Therapy Practitioners, and that's STSYP. I'm, I'm not going to give the whole talk, but I'm going to, to kind of give a brief overview because I think it really maps out nicely how it is that yoga therapy, especially yoga therapy for mental health, which is what I'm most interested in how it differs from something like psychotherapy or talk therapy that we have an entire framework. And I, I think this actually applies to physical therapists too, because the lens through which we view the human system is a completely different lens. And, you know, to be able to have that paradigm shift about how to even assess or evaluate someone, it's a really big deal. So I'm going to go briefly through some of this talk. We won't get to all of it, but at least you'll get an idea. And I think it will help pinpoint how are we different than say psychotherapy or even physical therapy or occupational therapy, some of those very well-known modalities and fields out there. So I think one of the first big differences, and, and we may not start with the client here, right? It's it's something, you know, usually we work from gross to subtle. So we'll start with something physical. They want to improve their balance. They want to, you know, feel stronger. They want to get some exercise. Then they might be interested in, well, how, how is my breath able to help me during a stressful situation when I'm going into an MRI? And then they might start to feel like, gosh, mentally and emotionally, I just want to be more stable for my family. I want to be that person that is the rock, the one that doesn't get thrown off so easily. And then it might get into relationships, you know, relationship with self, relationship with others that we love, relationship with the divine. And then possibly, you know, what is your spiritual or religious way of being in the world? And, and how can you really lean into that if that's your thing? So what's interesting is we move from gross to subtle over time. I always say it takes about two to three years. If I meet someone once a month, it takes us two to three years to kind of move inward and into that deeper state. But the thing is, at some point, if the person is willing, if they want to, and this is always optional in yoga therapy, 
we want to help them understand that they have a consciousness that is unchangeable, that is not affected by fear or attachment or aversion or a misperception, that there is something deep, deep inside of them that is all-knowing. It has always been here. It will always be here, even after the body is gone. And again, not every student gets to this level of subtlety, but I think to frame yoga therapy to say, we really are talking about human consciousness. You know, we can help people with their low back. We can help people with their, you know, ability to take a breath before they let out an angry email. Of course, we can help with those things. But the bottom line is if we really used yoga therapy to its fullest potential, it's really about finding your consciousness within this human body. And so when we talk about Purusha, we're talking about the consciousness that we all share at the level of the totality, when it comes into kind of an individualized state of consciousness, we call that the Atma in the human body. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you're seeing some slides right now. If you're just listening to it, always know that you can go to YouTube and get those that video and those slides, as well as go to our Patreon page if you'd like to. So, you know, when we are starting to look at this thing called consciousness, one of the first things that we learn in the in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is that in Patanjali's way of looking at it, there's duality. You have this human body, you have these thoughts, you have this container that you're living in, and that that is actually different from this Purusha at the level of totality. So once you get into a human body, there are three gunas that really affect your mind, sattva, rajas, and tamas. And, you know, when we look at sattva, rajas, and tamas, we're just looking at a grouping of qualities of the mind. So when you're feeling light and balanced and kind and open and clear and intelligent and aware and have good wellness and you're inspired, that group of qualities in your mind is what we call a sattvic mind. When the quality of your mind is more high energy and active and things are changing and you have a lot of passion and there's a lot of dynamic movement with your thoughts, maybe some egotism or agitation, maybe some attachment, that group of qualities we call rajas of the mind. And then tamas of the mind is when the mind has the grouping of qualities that are a little more dark, a little more heavy, inactive, inert. Stillness could even be a quality of, of tamas, laziness, maybe even obstruction. So I love to think about these things being as qualities of the mind and not a diagnosis. You know, in Western psychology, if someone had those qualities that I just described for Thomas, darkness, feeling very inert, inactive, heavy, lazy, very obstructing, we might say, oh, that person is depressed. And we put a moral judgment or even a value on that person. Oh, that's the guy that's always depressed, right? And somehow that moral judgment becomes a second problem. It's not just that we're having those qualities in our mind, maybe even in our body, but now we have to 
work with the label or the diagnosis. We see this a lot of times with people who have addiction or people who maybe have, you know, a DSM-5 mental illness. I'm putting in air quotes there. And I think that secondary kind of shaming sometimes that people feel because they've been diagnosed with ADHD or autism or whatever it is, that itself can be kind of traumatizing for the person and and even for the families that are supporting them. And this yogic way of looking at it is to not label, to not diagnose, but rather to say the qualities of your mind are similar to this grouping. And you know what? We can help you shift those qualities into something that's more beneficial, more likely to support you in the life that you want. And we do that in an embodied way. We use your body to give the messages to your mind that we're going to change the qualities. If they've been really heavy and dark and inert, we are going to use your body to tell your mind that, hey, we we need a little more lightness. We need a little more clarity. We need a little more movement. We need some passion. We need some excitement. And we can shift those qualities inside the body. This is really interesting because what neuroscience is starting to show is that this body brain connection, a lot of the information traveling on the, the super highway between the body and the brain, the body is giving way more information to the brain than the brain is giving to the body. Some people say it's as high as 80% of the information is traveling from the body to the brain. And only 20% of the information is traveling from the brain to the body. So through these embodied mental health care practices, I love that embodied mental health care, the coin I've been trying to get people to use and really, I think, resonates with me. Through that superhighway, letting the body tell the brain, hey, there's too much heaviness, too much darkness, too much inertia down here. We need a shift in the physiology. Then the brain has a chance to start changing up. And, you know, we've even heard some really amazing research recently saying that we used to think depression was kind of like a serotonin deficiency. That's one example of what depression could be caused by, although there's many, many causal factors, but that was a big one. Everybody was like, oh, your serotonin's low. Let's just give you some serotonin. And what they're now finding is that just giving people serotonin, whether that be through, you know, different foods or maybe getting out in nature, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, that that is not enough. That basically it's a holistic, complete lifestyle that changes not only your serotonin levels, but changes the state of your body, the state of your mind, which then takes you out of depression. So this idea that a pill can fix it, we're starting to see that it's actually yogic lifestyle or an Ayurvedic lifestyle that makes a really big difference in shifting these gunas of the mind. And I would say the gunas as they're functioning in the body. Now, what we want to be very careful about is that we don't think that the rajas excitement, passion type qualities of the mind are the 
the bad ones and the tamasic heavy dark qualities of the mind are the bad ones and everyone is trying to be in sattva all day long that's that's not what patanjali is saying but patanjali is saying instead that we need all three for different activities when you want to go to bed at night and get a good night's sleep tamas is really super important you want the right guna to be working at the right time when you're working on a work project and it needs to get done by a deadline you're going to need some rajas and that's when you should use it what tends to happen is we have rajas at night when we're trying to sleep and then we have tamas the next day when we're trying to get our work project done so again as Krishnamacharya says, use the right guna at the right time. And then there's many times we want to have a sattvic mind, right? A sattvic mind, once again, being those qualities of lightness, balance, kindness, open clarity, intelligence, awareness, wellness, inspiration. And, you know, to be in social engagement with other human beings where we're laughing and smiling and making eye contact and feeling a sense of belonging and feeling like we matter, that is a sattvic mind, right? And so we can't be there all the time, but we can be there more of the time. And that's really what we're trying to help people to do, again, through that embodied mental health care that it is your body that can help tell your mind, hey, we need to move towards sattva. And so all of these different things that we do to impact the body, such as drinking hot water with lemon in the morning, that is a way to take us physiologically, take some of the heaviness out and move us towards sattva, right? making sure we do movement practices early in the morning after we've been sleeping that takes us out of tamas and puts us into more energy hopefully resulting in a little bit more sattva so that's what i mean about lifestyle medicine is we are actually helping people to cultivate a lifestyle that will shift the gunas in a very embodied way which will then tell the mind or the brain, I should say, because I think the mind is actually our entire system, but we'll tell the brain, hey, we're doing okay down here. Things are, are pretty good down here. And that is how we impact someone's mental health. And I think that is very different than maybe talk therapy. And I, I really believe in talk therapy. I've gone to it many times in my life, but let's just give an example. It's not to say one is better than the other, just to show how they're different. That talk therapy is going to be mainly a cognitive intellectual process in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, where there's thinking and planning and analyzing. And that actually has a really great impact on people, but it's different than working from the bottom up, from the body to the brain through the gunas. I think you can see how that's different. And, you know, there's a lot of great talk therapists out there that give some breathing exercises or give some gentle movement and, and different things. But again, I think that's different because we as yoga therapists, we're, we're looking at a holistic lifestyle. We're helping people to understand what should you do first thing when you wake up? What's the next thing you should do? What kind of breakfast might serve you? If, if you have Ayurvedic expertise, you could talk about that. 
What are the things that are creating obstacles for you? And we can go through the day all day long. How can we create a bedtime routine that will make you feel more tamasic, right? Or how can we create a mid-afternoon daily lifestyle medicine routine that will give you a little more energy so you don't have to go to that coffee? So it's not so much a breathing exercise that we give somebody. It's more about changing up how we live our lives. Now, some of you may be thinking, what causes us to get into rajas or tamas or or what causes us to be in a more sattvic place? And, you know, according to the Yoga Sutras, one big cause of going into rajas or tamas is what we call the five kleshas, that we have a, a fundamental misperception And that misperception is that we forget we have an Atman inside of us. We forget about that consciousness inside of us that is eternal, that has always been here, that will always be here. No matter if we don't have a physical body, our consciousness will still exist. That consciousness is a part of the whole. It's a part of Purusha, the the larger ocean of Purusha that's out there. We are not separate We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And that separation is a a misperception. So you can start to see how this fundamental paradigm shift is so different than talk therapy or PT or occupational therapy or dance therapy or energy work. The foundation is in Indian philosophy that we have a consciousness that cannot be destroyed. And therefore, there's no reason to have such fear, right? And through that fear, we start getting very attached to certain things and we can't live without these things. We start having a lot of aversions based on that misperception and that fear. I don't like that. I don't like that person. We start over identifying with things that are not part of that consciousness inside of us, right? That job or that car or whatever it is, we're identified as if that job or that car or that purse makes us more important or more valuable when really none of that stuff makes us more important or more valuable. What makes us truly amazing in this life is that inner consciousness inside of us, nothing more and nothing less. And then sometimes our ego gets too big and sometimes our confidence is not enough, right? So it's because of these kleshas, this fundamental misperception of who you really are, which is consciousness, that we get fear, we get attachment, aversions, identifications, ego that is too big or too small. And that knocks us into tamas or rajas. I'll say that again. It is the kleshas that I just listed, misperception, fear, attachment, aversion, and ego identification. That knocks us out of our sattvic state. So again, it's it's really interesting to look at this as a lens of yoga therapy. Now let's repeat this again, that 
a person doesn't even have to believe that they have consciousness. You could have an atheist in yoga therapy and still do so much good work with them, right? It's, it's not essential that they believe that there is fundamentally a consciousness inside of them. However, there must be something that's sacred to them. There must be something that's precious to them. You know, you can use different words and different ideas to help them understand what, what Atman might be inside of them. And all of us as humans, when we have something that's precious or sacred to us, there is a fear that we might lose that whether that's our human body due to illness or whether that's a family member due to addiction, even people who aren't interested in Indian spirituality, they have fears and attachments and aversions and ego identifications, just like the rest of us. And those kleshas drive the gunas out of balance. So I see this as working from two directions, right? That we can create this lifestyle to keep our gunas in balance and eat at the right times and sleep at the right times and not overwork and plan daily breaks and, you know, exercise, all of that. So there's the whole lifestyle thing, but then there's also this kind of more top down intellectual thought about who am I and what am I scared of and what am I attached to and what am I averse to and where is my ego today and what am I identifying with? We can also work this process from that direction. And I think both are important. I think that's one of the really unique things about yoga therapy is that we are working from the lifestyle medicine, but we're also working from more of a kind of life philosophy perspective. And so it's really fun to figure out what is going to be the pathway for each person to get to sattva. You know, I'll tell you a couple of stories. I had one student who went through our two and a half year program, and we focus heavily on this type of talk that I'm giving today, very, very much assessing the gunas and figuring out which pranayamas are going to help shift the gunas and which asanas and which meditations and which chants, which hand gestures, all of it to help shift the gunas. And, and I felt it was very clear that the goal is to kind of mirror your mind to a sattvic state so that you are closer to your consciousness. But after two and a half years in a program, uh, the Optimal State Yoga Therapy program, my student said, I had this aha moment the other day. And I'm like, what was that? And the student said, I think what we're trying to do here is to get into sattva more often so that we can feel our consciousness. And I said, exactly. That is exactly what we're doing. So well said. And it surprised me that after two and a half years of this kind of talk, that it finally was an aha moment. And what that told me was this is not an easy concept to grasp. What I'm talking to you about today, it's not easy that we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked about this. And then there was the aha moment two and a half years later. I think that's a beautiful story. I think there is no rush to get people here. And one of the, the things that has really helped me 
to help my students and my clients is to not think about time as so linear, but rather cyclical. And this is very much a part of Indian philosophy that things happen in cycles over and over and over and over. And there's no real timeline. We will all figure it out in our own time. And all we have to do is kind of plant seeds and support people and nourish people and give them, you know, little droplets of philosophy and lifestyle medicine. And they will in their own time, in their own way, they'll figure out how to make these shifts in their lives. And, you know, I think about the 20,000 college students that I worked with over the years, I didn't always tell them that I was teaching them yoga and yoga therapy. I didn't tell them that we were learning Indian philosophy all the time. I wouldn't hide it, but I wouldn't lead with it because we were supposed to be in sports psychology class. <laughs> but I can't tell you how many of those students come back 5, 10, 15, even 20 years later to say that was the most impactful college class that I took. It's the only one I remember anything about. And it changed the trajectory of my life. And, and these are kids that acted completely bored out of their mind, rolled their eyes at me, <laughs> gave me attitude, um, were you know feeling repelled from me. But you know what? It planted seeds. And I think that is a really beautiful thing to keep in mind as yoga therapists. I think sometimes we get insecure that we're not seeing changes and our client isn't changing fast enough and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but it's really none of our business. We are in the business of planting seeds and then letting the sunshine and the water do its thing and see what grows. You know, that's what the yoga sutra says. We, we don't know what the future holds because it's dependent on this person's past, what they're capable of at this time, their ability to work through their own trauma or not. There's so many factors that have nothing to do with us. And, you know, one of the big things I see with our beginning yoga therapists as they go into their internships, they have to do 150 hours of one-on-one. -on -one. What I am seeing is that the scope is so broad, everything from the lifestyle medicine all the way to kind of the yoga philosophy 101, where you're actually getting people in touch with their consciousness, if that's what they want. I feel like beginning yoga therapists don't know where to start. It's like there's too many doors to go in and I don't know which door to use and, and they feel not confident. So what I tell them is don't worry about all that intellectual stuff right now. Don't worry about if you got the right timeline for the lifestyle medicine, perfect thing at each time of day. Don't worry about, you know, if you could say the Sanskrit perfectly to your client, focus on the heart, focus on connection, focus on listening. That's enough. And then all those other skills will grow with time, but mainly what people want is they want to feel connected. They want to feel heard. And so, while that's not where we stop. That's where we start. Right. And most of the yoga therapists that I know that are able to connect with people, they have repeat clients. They have a thriving business. So that's step number one. Then step number two is really understanding what should happen between six to 10 AM, according to Ayurveda, 
lifestyle medicine, what should happen from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., what should happen from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., looking at how the gunas work through the different stages of life, looking at how the gunas manifest in different disease pathologies. This is a lifetime of study. That's not something you can master in two and a half years. But if you have a community and a sangha that's willing to support you as you start to put the bricks down for the foundation and then build the house on top of it, I think that's going to take a lot longer than two and a half years. It probably took me 10 years. And that's with really great support and a teacher and a sangha and a, a strong lineage. And of course, I was working before I felt ready to, to work. But the point is, we shouldn't rush this. And, you know, one other thing I'll say about this, and I'm not sure if every yoga therapy program is like this, but in our program, we require that people do at least a daily practice, minimum 10 to 15 minutes and write a little journal and that they get a practice from an external reference point, somebody who helps them co-assess their own gunas and which direction they're out of balance and what types of practices are likely to bring them back into balance. And the reason we make that a requirement is because we don't feel at optimal state that you can do that for someone else if you haven't done it on yourself. I can't, for example, fix somebody's car because I'm not a mechanic right? I can't even tell somebody else how to fix their car because I'm not a mechanic. I haven't studied that. So at the very bare minimum, in order to help someone else with their lifestyle medicine and getting their gunas in balance, as well as learn the yoga philosophy, apply it to yourself, then it just organically starts to flow out of you. It's nothing intellectual that you have to memorize and pass on a test and remember which pranayama goes with which guna imbalance at some point you become it you live it because you yourself have gone through this transformation process and there is something deep inside you your consciousness that connects to the person in front of you your client and it's almost mm, strange how if you just focus on that connection, the tools and technologies will flow through you. You'll know which pranayama to choose to get the gunas back in balance. You'll know which chant might work. You'll know which meditation object might be really great. Now, I'm not saying that it's all intuition because, you know, obviously in a two and a half year program, you're learning all the different parts and the theory behind these pranayamas versus those pranayamas, the theory of why does this chant work and why doesn't that chant work? Like you've learned all that intellectually, but there comes a point when you deeply connect with your client that all that intellectual knowledge that you may or may not be able to spit out on a test, but it's in there, you heard it, it comes through you and you know that the person in front of you who's experiencing anxiety would do much better with a focusing breath than a relaxing breath or vice versa. Person B in front of you is having anxiety. They're going to do better with a relaxing breath and not a focusing breath, right? So 
I think that's a really beautiful thing that when we do the work on ourselves, suddenly we are touching our own consciousness and therefore we can help people get in touch with their deeper self, whether they want to call that consciousness or not, it's up to them, but it is pretty magic. And I, I remember going through my PhD program and I had to take a lot of classes in the psychology department. And I remember so many of us having major, major mental health issues and kind of going through the motions to get our hours in (laughs) to fulfill the needs of that course. But we never, a lot of us never really looked deeply at our own stuff. We just did it to get the hours in. And I, I think with yoga therapy, most people want the experience of touching their own consciousness deeply and getting to know themselves deeply. Not all, but I think a lot of people who go into this profession, that's what makes them feel joyful and alive and like life is worth living, right? So I think most yoga therapists want that daily practice. They want that deep, deep connection to themselves and therefore they're willing to do the work. So I'm only about into the first four slides out of 48. (laughs) We might have to pick this talk up another time. I feel like that is enough to digest for today. And I think I'll come back another time when I'm doing a solo podcast to talk about vasanas, which are kind of the unconscious feelings that arise when we come into connection with particular situations or places or people that in the past, they made us really happy or sad. And so when we get back in that situation, the same feelings come up. That's called a vasana. Vasana means scent. There's a leftover scent. And then samskaras are those habitual patterns that are manifesting here and now, very connected to the vasanas, right? How I think and communicate and act in the moment, my samskara is super connected to those unconscious feelings from the past, but they actually are separate. And so I think we'll spend a whole nother podcast talking about vasana and samskara, because again, I think this is a really unique concept from Indian philosophy that a lot of Western psychologists would agree with but it's a different paradigm. It's a different lens. It's kind of like what I said before in yoga therapy, we don't diagnose. We don't give a label. We just talk about qualities and can we shift those qualities of the mind? Same thing with vasanas and samskaras. We don't say you have borderline personality disorder due to, or you don't, you have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or you have ADHD due to X, Y, Z, we don't do that. We say, what is your samskara? What is your pattern of thinking or communicating? And what is that linked to? Is there anything from your past that those unconscious feelings that are arising from connection with these situations or places or people? And can we be more present and aware of that link? 
so that we can separate it and we can say, hmm, in fourth grade, somebody said I wasn't very smart. And now if anybody questions anything about my intelligence, I completely lose it and start screaming at people, right? That decoupling or delinking is super, super important. But again, in yoga therapy, we do that through lifestyle medicine, lifestyle management, and we do it through the lens of Indian philosophy to basically help the people come to this place where they can uncouple all those deep, painful, unconscious feelings from my current behavior patterns, right? And how do we do that? From the body to the mind, right? We do that through, also through meditation, very specific meditations to help the vasanas come up and feel safe enough in order to be seen so that then things can become uncoupled. And we have very specific ways of working with this so that people feel safe and feel held and that their object of meditation and their meditation practice actually help them transform and heal. Most of the time, yoga therapy meditations are not just quiet mind. They're not mindfulness meditations. There's an actual object of meditation that is supposed to help them see those past vasanas. And that object of meditation is individualized and chosen very, very carefully for each person and then monitored and kind of like a medication to see how that object of meditation or that chant is impacting this person's gunas, this person's gunas. How is the meditation impacting people to feel less tamasic or less rajasic and more sattvic, right? Because it's in the sattvic state that we can do that uncoupling of those past kind of unconscious feelings that we call vasanas and and de-linking them from the current more conscious samskara. So there's many, many implications for that with both mental health, but as well as physical health and figuring out why I can't stop eating sugar or figuring out why am I still smoking when I have lung cancer, (laughs) right? That uncoupling through the yogic technologies can be really, really powerful. And using a system that has been in existence for at least 2000 years, helping people to de-link in that way, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And oftentimes during this process, I'll most often ask my clients to also be seeing a psychologist at the same time. But I know that what I do has value and is very separate from what they do with the psychologist, where the psychologist might be working more with the prefrontal cortex and you know the, the higher order thinking around the problem. I'm working with the gunas. I'm working from the body up in a very specific manner, not just throwing a breathing technique here or there, but again, looking at that entire lifestyle medicine, daily routines, as well as using the lens of Indian philosophy to help people see why they are suffering and how they can suffer less. 
So that is going to be a separate podcast. Cause like I said, I still have like 44 slides left in this talk. And I think it's better to chew off little, little bits and pieces and do it slowly over time. So I'll come back to that, that same talk that I gave in March, 2022, the yoga therapy society over there in the UK. And I look forward to having more of these conversations with you. I think most of us are in this field or looking to be in this field because of the depth and the sweetness and the connection to consciousness that most of us want to feel. All right, everybody have a great day. We'll see you soon. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening, 